Um, normally I say turn to the second letter of Corinthians, but do not do that. Turn to the first letter of Corinthians, if you would, this morning. Last Sunday, we were, we were, and right, we were working through 2 Corinthians, and we came to this, this verse, chapter 11, you don't have to turn there if you're in 1 Corinthians, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul in verse 10 was telling the Corinthians that he's not going to stop boasting about Christ. I'm not going to yield or stop in what Christ has done, and I'm going to proclaim it. And then he turns around in verse 11, and he says, Why? Because I do not love you. And then he says these words, God knows I do. Well, as I was thinking about these verses in Paul's defense of himself and writing about these false teachers and all these accusations, you know, they, they were upset that Paul didn't speak right. He doesn't have the right uh, speech. Paul was a powerful preacher. Please don't, don't read into that, that he was incapable. He just was not doing it the way they wanted. Paul was a Jew. They, these Greeks, love their Greek speakers and their skills. They loved Apollos. Paul is one who says, I become a Jew to the Jews and to those who are without the law as one without the law. So they had ridiculed him this. They also said, well, he doesn't charge for his message. And they reasoned that uh, Paul thought that his message was inadequate. There must be something wrong with this Jesus because he's not charging for it. That sounds so opposite of today, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but that just seems completely radically different. But looking at those few, few words, right? God knows I do. I love you. And I, I just want to take a few Sundays and just backtrack and just maybe load up those words so you understand when Paul says, I, I love you, when he tells the church this, right? These Corinthians, you know I love you. God knows that I love you. What does Paul mean? Well, we want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and just get our hearts there with what Paul is talking about. This is, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, is normally referred to as the love chapter. Uh, as I was looking at this, I came across this joke. I thought it was kind of funny, although it might get me in trouble later, but uh, the question was, what is the, who is the greatest disciple, the disciple of love in the New Testament? And as the joke goes, many would say that it was John because he talks about love. Beloved, let us love one another. Some would say it was Paul because of this chapter. He wrote the chapter of love. But as the joke goes, it concludes and says it was actually Peter. Because after all, Peter was the only one who asked Jesus for prayer for his mother-in-law. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but that might get me in trouble later. And you're laughing too, it gets you in trouble as well. <clears throat> we normally think of this as a love chapter because it's usually a verses or some verses uh, have been read at weddings. We often hear them maybe at weddings, and it's not a bad thing for men and women to uh, to be patient and kind with one another and to love one another and not to, to keep a record of wrongs. Definitely in a marriage, there's many, much value in that. 
But Paul is not just simply writing this so, so married couples can understand how to love each other better. He is writing this as insights, right, for the Christian. And these are our markers of what it means to be part of, right, Christ's church. These are markers that everyone who professes Christ would have these in us. Now, it's not, and I'll probably say this a few times. I'm sure I have it in my, note, my notes in a few places, but it's, it's not uh, the, the love that Paul is, is going to talk about is not a love that is, you know, warm fuzzies or, or I don't know what else you would say, butterflies, maybe that's whatever. He's not talking about emotional kind of love, right? Often we hear, we hear the word love. As Americans, we may think that kind of love. We're in love with someone, and again, going back to marriage, we may have that tendency to think that way. But Paul is addressing our, our thinking uh, to understand rightly how, how Christ has loved us. And it's more than just a simple emotion. It is biblical love, right? He is going to call us and always has called us, right, to trust in the Lord, to, uh, to grow in our following after Christ. And those who love Christ, they do what? They, they pick up their cross. He's going to talk about discipleship. And so those are the things that mark biblical love. And to begin, we want to look at the first three verses this morning where he really sets the tone for us. So he says, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 3. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Verse 3, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. As we look at these three verses, before we go further, let's just ask the Lord to guide and instruct us through this. Father, we just want to pray a brief prayer and ask that your spirit would give us insight and understanding. Lord, as we see these words, not simply as a teaching, as doctrine, but as a truth that must be implemented in our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would grow us to obedience and continue that good work you've begun in us. And I pray that you would get me out of the way, Lord, that we would have from you what you desire to give us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned last Sunday, this got me thinking that Paul can come, and in my translation of last week, when he says, God knows I do, my Bible has an exclamation point. Paul can say with confidence and with, with uh, uh, exuberance, right? I, I, I know God knows that I love you and you should know it too. And I thought, wow, does, does that mark us? Now, I'm not going to make eye contact, no. And I realized that we would struggle in this area. Sometimes we have, we come across those who are easy to love and maybe there's others who just uh, need more grace. The EGRs, more grace necessary, are required rather, more grace required. I've heard it said like that. This person's an EGR. More grace, right, required. 
Sometimes we're like that. Some of you are going, Pastor, you have no idea how much grace we got to front you, right? <laughs> Some people are like that, but this is not to say, hey, let's love those who are easy to love and be like the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked in the Sermon on the Mount and just simply not love those we can't love or we don't like, so let's rewrite the law or uh, rather make some addendums to the law so we can love those we are not love those we don't like. I mean, this is a call for every single one of us to put on love. It is a marker to our life. This word that Paul uses as he's challenging these false teachers and he's writing to this church and he's giving us a response to what they're saying and as he tackles these things, he says, why? It's because I don't love you. The accusation, Paul doesn't love you. And Paul says, I do love you. God knows I love you. And the word he uses is a word that means a deep level of affection. Agapao is the word, is the Greek word. The verb has been used of our Lord, his love for people. We see this in Mark 10. Uh, we see this word used for the Father's love for Jesus. It's that same word, John 3, 35. We see it as human love for God, our response, our calling, this kind of love. We see it in Mark 12. So we see it in a wide range of love between people, but also includes, right, this, this word love is how we're to love our neighbor and even one's enemies of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. This is that word. Now, again, I want you to just impress upon you what is popular today in the church at large is to simply say, well, to love someone means to endorse them. Right? The Bible is it's, it's almost as if the Bible doesn't talk about sin anymore. It just says, well, love, it's love, it's grace, so let's just love. Now, in one sense, yes, every soul is created in the image of God. We are to love them. Right? But there is uh, a way in which we might be saved, and that is repentance. And if repentance is necessary, then there must have been sin. So we don't want to leave people in their sin. It is, oh, I think, a horrific thing to simply tell someone, hey, you're all right, live in your sin, you're good, it's okay. And then to have that moment at the end of their lives where they stand before a holy God. And imagine them going, Who, why didn't someone tell me? Of course, we know Scripture doesn't leave anyone um, without excuse. We all know, we suppress this. And I think it's important for us to realize that when we kind of have that, well, it's an awkward moment, uh, trust me, brother and sister, speak to that reality because the wrath of God is by far harsh, more harsh than your awkward moment about explaining Jesus. So it's popular today to just simply let's not, let's not talk about those things, but Paul says this should mark you. And he gives us three verses to tell us Right? I mean, here's an apostle, and he's saying, if I don't love this, I don't love this way. As an apostle, I am nothing. I'm a clinging symbol. But I've surrendered my body to be burned. It doesn't matter. I am nothing. That's the reality of it. So we realize that all pastors, elders, deacons, deaconesses, and every person who proclaims Christ is to be identified this way. You know, Paul has written this verse in between two other chapters, excuse me, this chapter in between two other chapters dealing with spiritual gifts and how we function, how we relate, how we use those things, how we think. 
Paul wants our gifts to be saturated in love. He wants our life to be dictated by this love, and it doesn't mean we overlook sin. He ends chapter 12 by saying, hey, seek and earnestly desire the greater gifts. Then he comes and says, here it is, the gift of love, biblical love. Paul is trying at this point, and in this letter, he has been dealing with all these divisions, right? I have this gift, I have that gift, I follow Paul, I follow Paul. So all these things were happening in the Corinthian church, and he comes to this thing and saying, here's a, here's a unifying marker. Regardless of your gifts, because there's different ones for different folks, all of us should be marked by this love. Love this quote by Jonathan Edwards where he says that all the virtue that is saving and that distinguishes true Christians from others is summed up in Christian love. I love you enough to tell you about Jesus. Christian love. Jesus marks our identity, doesn't he, in John 13, 34, and 35, where he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Pointed to the Father. He went to Calvary to become a sacrifice. He calls us and says, as I have loved you, love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Paul is touching on these gifts. He's touching on our, our, our reaction and action with one another. And yet he says, overarching to all of this is this right understanding of love. And so let's look at these three verses this morning. And the first one is simply, I simply say the necessity of love with language, right? How we speak to one another. He says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a, a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. I think of this, and I, you know, as you think of symbols, you've ever been around symbols, how loud symbols can be. I, I immediately went to as when my boys were young and we were new, uh, new parents, and uh, you could always tell the, the parents that didn't have kids yet because they gave your children toys that were really loud. And I remember thinking, I, you don't have kids, right? You've given me this, my, my son has this, he had this toy sword one time and it would just, it was brutal, right? And we couldn't get the thing to stop one night. And I remember throwing it in the backyard. We're all asleep. I'm like, I've had it. I remember opening the back door and just throwing this sword out. And then I also thought, I'm going to keep note. That person has a family later. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's a loud, right? It's just a loud sign. I mean, we see this, the clanging cymbal or noisy gong. Paul comes to this and says, look, if I come to this, this, if Paul, if Paul does this, first person, right, singular, if I present or love or my language this way of tongues of men and angels, if I speak with that kind of eloquence, Right? If it's, if it's that good and yet I have not love, he says, all I'm doing is just a gong, clanging symbol. Paul, for us, is saying here, here you know, love is, is more valuable. When it's rooted in love, it's, almost, it's more valuable than the proclamation, right? He's saying, if I come with tongues of men and of angels, if I had this eloquence, 
that just like would speak and you were all like, oh my goodness, this guy's incredible. And we heard these, these heavenly voices coming out of this person with just great uh, oratorical skill and, and communication. And Paul says, look, if I have all this, but I don't have love, that just a, what a radical contrast. He says, I'm, man, I'm just a, a noisy, obnoxious, brutal thing, right? That we miss what is being said. We learn that our action might be good, but how we go about it might be bad, right? Our application of God's truth. I think it's interesting that in that time, you know, why does, why does Paul grab those uh, those pictures for us. Why does he illustrate with a gong and symbols? And um, well, clearly at that time, this was uh, Corinthian bronze was something that was traded, right? That was utilized by Romans, and definitely they would they would sell and hammer these things out and create different things. And Paul, being a tent maker, no doubt spent some time around other craftsmen, right? It is said, I know Kenneth Bailey, who said back in 1980, who's written a book um, talking about going in there and, and finding this area where it was still in Syria, it was still popular for many to kind of hammer out bronze items and, and beat these things. And he goes on to say, at one point I had to ask for directions, could you point me in the way? But he realized the closer I got to the street where all these craftsmen were at, I didn't need to ask for directions anymore. From a ways away, I could hear it already, the hammering, the beating, right? And then he goes on to say, I can imagine Paul trying to communicate the gospel while trying to sell some tents on the side. He said it was so loud that you had to get your mouth into someone's ear and just yell. No, no doubt, Paul has this running through his mind. And if I come to you, Corinthians, and I'm I'm trying to present the gospel, but I don't have love. This love marked by Christ, Christ in me. It's as if I'm trying to yell in your ear and all you hear is clinging symbols. So Paul tells us that language without love, right, is the equivalent of not being heard. Well, he goes on from here in verse 2. I say the necessity of love without learning, right? What, what happens when we, our minds are puffed up? Well, Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, you, you see the pattern there, right? <laughs> if I have it all, I have all faith, all understanding, all the depths of philosophical insight and all the, the understanding of prophetic things I could say. And I had all the knowledge as if I was to speak and you would hang on every word I said. If I had all of this to the point and my faith was so strong that I would just speak and remove mountains. That's a pretty significant, awesome person, don't you think? I mean, we've, this is God level stuff now, right? He says, but I do not have love. I am nothing. So just in case you missed the first point, right? The clinging symbol is not ringing in your ear yet. Paul gives us this. Here's the implication. Without love, you become no thing. Nothing. 
Your name for yourself that you're trying to carve out is meaningless and moot, right? Again, Paul is writing first person, singular. Paul is saying, if I do this. I would imagine that, that a lot of us have on our hero list, I would think, if you think of your heroes of the faith, whether they be from Scripture or uh, throughout church history, I would imagine that many of you have Paul on that list. I'm just going to go with a yes with that. You should. If you don't, you should be your hero. Paul is saying here, right, here's our hero. If he is yours, that with all of his knowledge and insights and wisdom, with the way he is full of the Holy Spirit and guided and, and orchestrating the planting of the church and the call on his life and operating right as an apostle. And he says, if I come this way, if I have the gift of, of proclamation, of prophecy, proclaiming God's truth, if I'm preaching his word, which he has done, he's planted this church, my love doesn't shine through it. It doesn't shine through my, my preaching. My preaching is worthless. It is nothing. I mean, he has identified himself back in chapter 4, him and Apollos, as stewards of the mysteries of God. He is the one revealing Christ, all mysteries, right? He comes and he says, this is who it is. But Paul doesn't just leave it as Christian. He comes and says, if I have all the mysteries of Christian understanding of Jesus, but the word all, right, means... He, beyond the pagan ideas i can explain to you what is christian and everything else that is non-christian if i have all that understanding and it's not rooted in love i i have no value to you it's nothing i mean if he possesses the right charisma the the stature the eloquence Right again, we're hanging on his knowledge and every word. He simply becomes nothing. I think there's an application for us. There's always a tendency in our pride, right, for our, our minds to be puffed up, to think that we are more superior because maybe we're redeemed or we're saved or because I, have no, I know Christ, you haven't, or something to that, um, to that end. And I think Paul just simply brings this right down to realize this is, this is all of Christ. And when we understand that, then we're propelled rightly to preach and to live. I'm not trying to, to earn your stamp of approval. I want to live for Christ. And we see that in Paul. He, he goes on. He says, even though I have all knowledge, right? Knowledge, the understanding of the content of whatever is being explained, and yet what do we see in our own culture? It's, it's common for arrogance to accompany the acquisition of knowledge. Many of you work in professional fields, and you know, when you're around those who, they know a little bit more than you, and they want to make sure that you know that they know a little bit more than you. Think how radical this is for the Christian. How radical this is for the Corinthian. Knowledge without love equals nothing. That is completely upside down. You can imagine these Corinthians reading some of this. See, there is a perception that knowledge has no necessary connection to love. 
right? We, we've, when we define love as some type of an emotion, well, it's easy for us to go, well, the intellect has nothing to do with emotion, right? We have this whole head-hard dichotomy and, and separation of things. Paul, again, is not talking about emotion. Now, we're emotional beings. We don't ever separate that, but we're to understand love. We're to understand where our knowledge comes from, that God is sovereign even over those things, that our understanding is by his good work and activity in our lives. What do we have that we did not first receive? Yes, we may have read the books and studied, but it is God who's given us the mind to comprehend. Why do we walk away thinking, I've done something, I'm somebody now? We do that. We'll struggle with pride. But I think there's also another element here that Paul's hitting at. He goes after this Gnostic idea. Gnosticism was happening definitely in the formation of the early church where they believed that they had some esoteric secret knowledge that we don't actually need Jesus. We already have God and we can come about salvation in in a human way. John and his letters dealt with that. John goes on to say that this group in his letter, they went out from us because they were not part of us. He's writing about those kind of people who have puffed their minds up and say, we don't need Jesus. We'll go about this thing our own way. We can find salvation in self. But Paul here is definitely hitting at some of that, isn't he? If I have all knowledge, all mysteries, all proclamation and prophecy but no love i am nothing see the christian is defined paul is hitting after more than just um right this idea of of how we go about he's talking about your life and how our life is to be changed we love why do we love because christ loved us We have been changed, and therefore we find the right motive. We find the right understanding. We begin to realize that every soul is important. And I I know, brothers and sisters, there are those who are just tough to love, right? But we do what the Lord has called us to do. We don't let others dictate how we love. We let God and his word and Christ, his activity in us, dictate who we're going to be. I mean, it's quite a picture that Paul paints, though, isn't it? person possessing all of this while saying you're useless. I mean, he's sitting at that core, simple truth, isn't it? People could care less, care less what you know until they know you actually care. There's their love. And so Paul takes it even a step further, right? Here he hits at every Christian. Everyone professing, if I have all faith, I can move mountains, right? He grabs definitely in his mind some parables, are some, are some moments where Jesus spoke of the mustard seed and the fig tree, where he goes on to say that if you have, you have this kind of faith, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, or this tree cast into the sea. You can have that kind of faith, and no doubt uh, Paul is coming and speaking to every Christian, right? Christian, this morning, if you're just saying, I'm full of faith, I'm okay over here, but my faith isn't rooted and saturated in Christ, he's saying, basically, you have no faith. That's ah, rough. Paul, come on. What kind of faith we have is a faith in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. And again, we see that word all, all, all. 
If I have all of this, our apostle planting these churches, going and saying, if I, if I, if I have all, all, all of this, and yet it's not rooted in a redemptive kind of love, then he concludes and says, I have nothing. I am nothing. He's not talking about a nothing in the, in the sense of our identity, right? As John the Baptist prayed, he's not talking about becoming humble in that sense and being nobody. He's talking about literally being nothing. There's no value whatsoever in him. So love must saturate all that we do. It's like the story of, of the third grade science teacher who asked her students to describe salt. One little boy stumbled around his words. He couldn't quite get the scientific thing out. He just said, look, salt is what makes French fries taste good. <laughs> love, right? Christian love makes our message taste good. It needs to be saturated with it. So there's a danger, right, for us and our pride to become maybe spiritually superior might think of ourselves as a little better. Surely you would not think of yourself better than Paul. Paul was a redeemed sinner, just like us. He is saying, in all my, all my language, not with love, I'm not being heard, in all, my, in all my learning, if it's without love, it equals a person who's irrelevant. And so he comes to the last, his last point, verse 3. And just in case we're not getting it, right? He gives us some illustration where I say the necessity of love without labor. And if I give all my possessions, right? Here's a super, a super duper Christian, right? All my possessions to feed the poor. <clears throat> and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So Paul really wants us to pick up what he's laying down, right? He really wants us to get this. He comes and he says, if my personal sacrifice, if my motive, right, is to, to earn something, get something, and I, I give all my possessions. It almost sounds like it takes us right to Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee being so thankful. I'm not like that tax collector. I tithe on everything. Paul says, if I was to do that, right? If I was to give all this and give my body, surrender my body to be burned, it would profit me nothing. So we see that how we give in our charity matters. All my possessions, right? It refers to what you have access to. What, what things belong to you at your disposal? All your property, all your resources, everything, right? That's Paul's, Paul's drive through this. It's not some of your resources. No, I gave everything, everything I have. And yet, if it's not rooted in love, I'm nothing. I mean, you, you see the legalism that Paul even kills here. The people trying to earn their way, right? I mean, Calvary should shatter legalism. It just shows us what how horrific our sin is, but there are many today who still feel, nope, I'm going to add something to this. I'm going to, I'm going to earn something. I'm going to, I, I got to add something to what Christ has done. It's futile. Paul even says here, look, if you don't understand redemption and the love of Christ, that we stand in Christ, 
and not of our own. I mean, here he's saying, look, if you were to give all your possessions, friends, and give it all as thinking that you're going to get something, he says, you profit nothing. And there are several ways, I think, that we need to be mindful of how we give or the reason we give. Sometimes we give out of duty, right? Everyone else is doing it. I don't want to be that one person who's not giving, so I'm going to do something there. Or maybe we have contempt, right? I'm frustrated. Someone's forcing me to give. I don't want to give, but I'm going to do this. Maybe there's some type of, again, some type of pride or superiority. I'm going to give just so others know that I can give. I want the needy to know it's from me, right? So who knows what kind of added. We we do these things. But Jesus gives us the contrast, doesn't he? John 14, 27, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says these words to you as well. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Paul is is simply saying this whole idea here is a worldly giving. I'm going to give and even surrender my body to the point of it being burned. Paul says you can do that and give all your possessions. You can go right on ahead. You can surrender your body and all that you are and and yield it all to to some type of martyred idea or just simply the idea of laying it all down and and, being the ultimate sacrifice, go for it. But just know that if that's your, your, your plan here is to do that, to gain some type of credit or to add something to what Christ has done, he says it doesn't profit you anything. See, that's the idea, right? Love is more than the pain we go through. Our bodies could be burned. We didn't have love. We have nothing. See, it must, it must saturate all that we do. So we might ask, right, as we come to this text and we look at these things, how is it possible? I mean, how is it possible that we could do this? I mean, these sound like pretty good things. How is it possible that I, I could surrender and help, right, some, some those who are going without and, and do all these things and yet not be commended by God? How is that possible? I mean, how could a member of a church do this for the cause of Christianity and yet it have mean nothing? There's no profit in it. Right? I mean, isn't, isn't that, it's, it's a good thing? Well, we, we, we realize that in this text, Paul's theology is the realization that God sees your heart. Right? We, we are those who look on the outside and we know how to, how to walk that walk and do things in front of others. And, hey, look, let me make sure that you see me giving over here or doing this. And we can do that and just think, well, people think really highly of me, right? And, and yet God is the one who says, man, I know your heart. I know your thinking. This is why Paul can say this, because those are good things, aren't they? Uh, There are those in need. Let's do something about it. Uh, The gospel needs to be preached. Let's make, let's let it it be known. But he says, look, if you go about all of this, and you actually aren't uh, the proof, so to speak, in, in the proclamation of what you're saying, people aren't going to take it. I haven't, I haven't, I've never, to my years on this planet and what the Lord has given to me, I've never heard of a person who is, 
who's come to believe on Jesus Christ because somebody got in a, in a match or an argument with them of some sort, right? I've never heard that. God knows the hearts, right? And when, when people look upon you and they realize, I know this fellow. I know this, this lady. There has been a change here. And we begin to communicate with that. I believe then we see profit, don't we? We begin to see others, right? And, and for us, it's no longer about my name being lifted high or my knowledge being touted above others. It's no longer about that. It becomes more about you're a soul. You need Christ. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Jesus, in his words, right, to every one of us as disciples. In Mark 8, he says, he summoned the crowd and he summons his disciples. They all gather around him and he says these words. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. That's what Paul's talking about, isn't he? But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man? Right? There's our word. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Paul is saying, I can do all these things. I can do them for, your, for show. Prophets mean nothing. Jesus says, for what does it profit you? You do it like the world does it. Live like the world lives. Forfeit your soul. It's a person with the wrong motive. Wrong reason. So we see these three things, don't we? Our language without love equals not being heard. Right? You're just a clinging symbol. Our learning, all our knowledge without love equals a person who's irrelevant. I could care less what you think. And laboring, our actions for Christ, the, the serving of others in need, and the laying down of our lives, and the time, the sacrifice, equals nothing. and equals no kingdom profit. It's not with love. So brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in this this morning, right? This is saying, oh man, this is my heart. And today must be a day where we repent. Paul's drive, and definitely with the Corinthians, he has mentioned this, but I'll read from Galatians 6.14 where he says, But uh, may it never be that I, that we, that any Christian would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's, that's the realization that we're already dead. We're supposed to live as if we're dead to the world. This is not our home. We're just passing through. And while the Lord has given us days on this planet and the process of passing through his pilgrims, let us be a voice 
And let us be a life so saturated with the love of Christ that we would point others to Christ. The baton has been given to us. It's been placed in your hand and in my hand. And so we have to realize who are we giving that baton to. There are others after we go on to glory, God willing, who will stand right in pulpits and stand in the marketplace and stand in schools and and different areas of our community and proclaim Jesus Christ. And they won't just say it. They'll have lives that, that match their testimony. That's what we need to have. That's what the the church must have. Nowhere does Paul say you shouldn't have things. Nowhere does he say you shouldn't have education. Nowhere does he say any of that. But he says if you have those things and you're going to use it for the kingdom and you do it without, right, a Christian ethic of love, knowing that every soul will stand in front of of the judgment seat of Christ, that realization, if that doesn't drive you, then maybe there's another motive at work. So we have to simply ask this question. Ask it of yourself. Does my language, does my learning, does all my labor, does it glorify Christ? Does it edify the saints in the church? Does it build the church? Are these three things, are they bringing a positive witness to non-believers? Or would we conclude saying, you know what, right now, it's profiting me nothing, and I am becoming nothing. You know, I began my, my sermon with that joke about Peter loving his, uh, his mother-in-law and I'm just going to conclude in saying our love for one another, our love for Christ, our love for, for souls that are lost is never a joking matter, is it? It's clearly not for Paul. It shouldn't be for us. So you're not an accident. You have purpose. You are placed where the Lord has you. And that's not an accident. We pray that. God is sovereign, right? Through your own volition, your own decision, the Lord has placed you exactly where he wants you. And you're not going to be perfect. And I pray that you, as we go through this, that you'd realize Paul isn't, he's not driving at perfection. The Christian always has a heart of repentance. We realize we fall short. We realize we must have Christ. We must have him always. But there must be a growth in us where we say, all my knowledge, what I have, my learning, my laboring, let it be for Christ. Let us pray like like John the Baptist prayed, let me become less. He would become more. May our prayer be, Lord, let me reflect Jesus and not the world. Let me reflect to others, not not my soul, but the, the one who has redeemed my soul. Let my hands be the hands of Jesus Christ. Let my feet be quick to go where I can, I can extend mercy and grace. Let me be one who is, who is not passive but takes the, the boldness to say, here is Christ. Believe on him. We're going to close by singing uh, this, this hymn, More Love to Thee. And it's just simply a confession that from our, from our birth and life and death, all that we are, that we would desire more love, O oh Christ, to thee, more love to thee. So as we sing this, let it be just part of your prayer. Lord, in my life, in your walk with him, as you humbly walk with him, 
as we, we do mercy and, and do justly, let us have a growing heart that says, Father, let me love you and extend your love to others more. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you again for the time that you've given to us this morning, that we would be edified and encouraged and strengthened. Um, Lord, you know the, the souls that are here, and I pray for each soul here this morning. You know the struggles they are facing even right now. Lord, they, they may have heard this sermon and thought, how do, how do I make even make some changes? How do I even go about that? Well, Father, I pray that you would fill them afresh and anew with your spirit, that you would give insight and wisdom by your spirit to direct their steps. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would birth in each of us a, a, a fervency to realize that uh, the days are wicked. And let us redeem the time. Uh, Lord, today we have freedom to speak of Jesus. And I realize that that, that door is closing, and even in some of the, the businesses and, and the areas where we work. But Father, if, if we can speak, then let us be those who speak. Let us be those who love with our speech, who love with our knowledge, and love, Lord, with our labor. We're all inclusive. Every aspect of our lives, lead us that way that we might just simply be those who would point to Jesus, that we might speak of others and say, come and follow me as I follow Christ. Father, let there be more love. We thank you, God. We know you've begun a good work. We trust that work, Lord, in us. We love you for it. We say thank you for it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.